It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, welcome to episode number 13, unlucky for some, of the Danny Button MMA show, only on Ace Podcast Nation. I am your host, Sai. Here at Ace Podcast Nation, we have shows, content, and interviews on all sorts of subjects, from football to mental health to mixed martial arts to boxing, films and TV, conspiracy theories, as well as our unique series, My Story. We dropped episode number two of that on this past Sunday with former Wales International and Cardiff City and Arsenal defender Reese Weston. We also have every Monday a live football show, which is the Andy Campbell show. This past Monday, after this show's because this show drops on a Wednesday, uh, I actually had Scottish international Kevin McNaughton join me as Andy was uh, away on assignment. Let's say he was unavailable, so he I uh, so he I oh. Super Kev joined me for a chat, which was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, we've got loads and loads of content coming your way with lots and lots of different guests and fighters and all sorts of stuff. Today's show is going to be a little bit different because we obviously haven't got any current content to talk, but we wanted to keep up the momentum as such. We've been uh, progressively getting more and more uh, downloads each week, so we wanted to keep going. We didn't want to take a break. So we decided, right, we'll have a look at some retro content. So each week we're going to review UFC shows from our past. We're starting with UFC 1 today. We're going to talk about that, uh, which was very interesting as uh, it's not what it is today in many ways. Um, And we're also talking Frank Bruno versus Lennox Lewis from, I think it was 1993, uh, Mm -hmm. the Battle of Britain. And it was uh, a Definitely a super fight at the time. 
Um, but before I introduce my co-host, who provides all the technical analysis, I'd just like to say today's show is brought to you by Away Day Apparel. Away Day Apparel is a group of casually obsessed football fans looking to bring something different to your wardrobes. You can visit their website, awaydayapparel.co.uk. Uh, I'll put the links in the description, and I highly recommend giving them a follow on social media, uh, at Away Day Apparel on Twitter and at Away Day underscore apparel on Instagram. They, uh, they've got lots of new things coming this year that's exciting, exciting stuff for the next few months for the brand. Um, they've got limited edition bobble hats at the moment. Uh, I believe there's 40 of each kind. Uh, so they'll be the must-have thing, especially with the, the weather in Britain being so up and down as well with uh, that. And for especially for viewers, viewers rather, and listeners of Ace Podcast Nation, if you use the code AA Podcast Nation, all in lowercase, you can get 10% off all orders. And that's AA Podcast Nation, all in lowercase, and you get 10% off all orders. So, with no further ado, my co-host, the man who breaks down all the fights for us and gives his technical know-how, former Cage Warriors featherweight champion, UK MMA legend, Mr. Danny Button. How are you, my friend? You know, I say I'm doing as good as anyone can do while they're trapped in their own home. Yes, yeah, it's, um, yeah. it's Weird, uh, different. <laughs> I'm so used yeah, to being busy and think... not having no time at home, which I complain about, and now. I'm complaining about the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm in here too much. I want to get out. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Everyone's going stir crazy now. It's um, it's. I I tried to explain to my son today. Like the last two days have been a bit of a struggle for us. But then before that, we were doing all right, and it was all okay. And I just said, you know, it's so unprecedented. Precedented. Uh, you know, no one really knows just knows what to expect. No one knows how long it's going to last. You've just got to take each day as it comes. And, you know, you're going to get days where some days are harder than others. It's just, unfortunately, the way the way it is and the situation we're in. Uh, but mm. I don't think it's going away anytime soon, unfortunately. No, no, I don't. I think it's here to stay for some time. I just don't hope it don't eat into a, um, how limited summers that we have here in the UK. So, yeah, when you well, well, say it, UK, I mean, this is Typically. Across, across the world. So, mm. Yeah, yeah, well, to be honest, it's going on everywhere. Um, and, you know, let's be fair, typical of the British weather in that as soon as you go on lockdown, it's blazing sunshine. You yeah, know, it's, yeah no, we've had some lovely days. Typical, mm. Absolutely typical there when you've got to stay in, the weather turns for the better. But there we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, anyway, we're going to try and switch off from the coronavirus and uh, just maybe take people's minds off it and we're going to talk some combat sports we're going to start with Lennox Lewis versus Frank Bruno from uh, 993 at Cardiff Arms Park must have been one of the uh, the last fights at Cardiff Arms Park because that was demolished not long over, long, not long after and ah. uh, obviously the Millennium Stadium is there now yeah yeah of course yeah it uh, rolls back some of my childhood memories when I look at it and I see the Cardiff Arms Park Stadium um so yeah, that, what did you think of the fight overall? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember watching it at the time. Um, it, you know, no, and looking at it back now, it wasn't quite how I remembered it. I thought 
um, I thought initially Frank Bruno was on the receiving end all the way through, but um, wasn't so as I started looking back. But of course, I'm looking at it now from a more educated point of view. I'm certainly no boxing specialist, but I know a lot more than I did when I was a kid watching it. And um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed um, looking back at the fight overall. Um, you know, it was a good pace all the way through. Very steady, I would say. But it wasn't one of those bore fests that you can get. Um, yeah, so it's one of those ones that were, you know, it was, it was worthy of a good watch. You could certainly sit down and have a, a good old watch and it would be entertaining. Uh, what massive highlights in it. But nevertheless, there were a few little points of interest that happened um, throughout, the, throughout the match. Not just in one round, but in several of the rounds. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I thought it was pretty good. Um, you know, as you get, especially in heavyweight boxing fights, sometimes they can, uh, you know, they can become a bit of a snooze fest. But um, I thought yeah. this was, you know, it, it wasn't electrifying by any means. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't, you know, what Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder's, those last two fights were. But it was, yeah. you know, it was interesting. Um, I was just, I've got it sort of playing on my screen now. And I just, mm-hmm. they did a, in the, obviously, the even even going by by the stats, the way they the stats, the way they do their stats are completely different mm. to what you know what they do now. So the, the yeah. stat they used was uh, average punches per round, uh, the last two fights as a, as an average. And actually, uh, going off that, Frank Bruno had landed twenty four uh, punches per round, and Lennox Lewis twenty two. Right. Uh, but Frank Bruno had thrown 61, whereas Frank, uh, on average, and Lennox Lewis had only thrown 47, so he was right. a lot more uh, accurate, Lennox Lewis, yeah. according to the to the stats of the time. But I do wonder how accurate they are compared to, you know, the stats right. you get now where they roll off. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's hard stuff. to know. But, uh, yeah, and they yeah, did things I... like average jabs and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm trying to remember back from, you know, because I obviously watch a lot of boxing back being a kid and stuff. I'm just trying to remember back. I sort of remember when Lennox Lewis was coming up through the ranks and I know he was someone that could sometimes have his lazy spells. Um, And, you know, Frank Bruno was someone that is a little bit ploddy and um, can sometimes gas a little bit. I think that's the initial consensus I had um, that I knew of when I was watching him and sort of like this was sort of like my expectation watching it back again. Um, but, you know, I, I was quite impressed overall with um, Frank Bruno. Um, you know, uh, I thought that although he is very, very steady and almost ploddy like, um, he was actually coming forward constantly. Um, you know, if, if we start going through the rounds, uh, if we can start mm-hmm. doing that, um, you know, Lennox started out really fast. And this has become um, a theme throughout the rounds, actually. You, you've got Lennox Lewis coming out, kind of taking it to Frank. But it would only be for like 20 seconds, you know, no more than that. And then he would go back, you know, into a backpedaling mode. Um, and very early on, Frank Bruno was working with um, body jabs a lot. So, you know, I could only, you know, surmise that he was obviously looking to go into deeper rounds and perhaps wanted to take the pace out of Lennox Lewis early. Um, the first round was really hard round to score, like I say, because Lennox Lewis come out a little fast and then Frank Bruno looked like he was the more steady throughout and he looked like he took the centre better. Um, so, you know, I think initially quite an even round. It's, it's really not hard to know how they the judge boxing bouts, being that I'm not a boxing specialist, but when, when it really sways one way or another, it's quite clear. 
but that was quite a hard round to initially score. Um, and I think they can still score because in MMA now we can't have an even round, can we? We, we you've got to go ten no. nine or ten eight either way. But I think you can have even rounds uh, still in, in in the boxing, especially back then. And um, you know, if I was going to be pushed or shoved to give it to anyone, I would have given it to to Frank purely because he had the centre of the ring. Um, but it looked very very even overall. And as a notice of like, you know, something I observed was that they wrapped um, Lennox Lewis up to keep him warm. Um, I don't know if you noticed that in between rounds. That they've yeah. got like a blanket over him. You know, that, that's something I didn't remember and something that made me a little surprised. Well, I think it's um, obviously it was in the Cardiff Arms Park um, and obviously like the Millennium Stadium now, they've got a roof which slides across, whereas... Right. You know, back then the the Cardiff Arms Park is a very open stadium, and right. I would imagine it would have been quite blustery and quite uh, quite cold in there as well because right. uh, they only had the fans uh, on the pitch and around the ring. They didn't have them up in the the higher parts of the st- stands, yeah. and um, yeah, I think it would have been quite cold uh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. between rounds for the fighters, which is just, you know you don't see that very often. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Uh, the way you called the round, Lennox Lewis came out quite quick and sharp, uh, mm. and then Frank. I think Frank kind of found his feet a bit after the first couple of minutes, and yeah. just took the centre of the ring. But um, you know, obviously, this is relatively early in Frank uh, in Lennox Lewis's career. Uh, he's yeah. only about four years into his professional career at this point, and he, you know, he yeah. doesn't look anywhere near as dominant as he did later in his career, but it was a, a massive fight for him, you know, yeah. as a young man fighting someone of Frank Bruno's uh, reputation sure. and stature, you know, experience as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, also yeah, on I, the I, undercard of this, sorry, mate, to interrupt you. No, go um, on. No, no, go on. I noticed in the uh, undercard of this fight, uh, this, yeah, undercard of this fight, there there was a very young Joe Calzaghi made his... Uh, Ah. Uh, I don't know if it was his debut, but he was he, he did a four, four round fight in one of the right. really really early fights in the card, which uh, yeah, I yeah. thought was you know actually being four historical rounds, fight. It, yeah, quite possibly would have been his first fight being only four rounds in duration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, Lennox Lewis though showed good footwork. I thought, um, even though Frank was looking once he settled, he was being you know he was he was sort of going in. Uh, Lennox Lewis was the quicker on his feet, I thought. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Definitely, you know, in, in terms of uh, style, because, you know, styles, you know, you can make a lot of difference to, to the way the fighter wants to perform and, and so on and so forth, both offensively and, and defensively. And, um, you know, one thing Frank is, Frank would say he's a plodder. I think it makes him look like a plodder because he's not like a pretty footwork guy, but he has really good balance, though. Um, uh, you know, he's, he's quite short, short and footed. stocky, isn't he? Yeah, he's got really sh- uh, short-footed type of movement, um, but that also means you're kind of limited with your your uh, attacks. It's hard to be surprising with your attacks. Um, you know, you're not going to be able to float in and float out so much. You kind of like just got to dig through your shots a little bit. Um, and the thing that always makes him look stylistically always the same in every fight is that because he doesn't have this floating footwork. Um, you know, he's he's not going to go in with like huge flurries like you could quite often will see. So someone with really nice footwork, they will hit a lot of single shots 
And then, you know, so he likes to jab and move around and stay out. And then when they've got the energy and the time is right to do so, they'll come in and exert a little flurry and then get back out. Um, whereas Frank sort of like just have to chip and plod. He's always doing other jab, double jab, triple jab, double jab, cross. You know, it's all very simplistic um, stuff because, you know, he's quite a, a well-built man um, and, and not someone who looks super fast or does lots of flurries, never looked pretty doing flurries. So, you know, I think that was a, a defining difference. Definitely both very stylistically different. Um, Frank Bruno was coming in with a very high guard and you had Lennox Lewis with a lower guard. So, you know, Lennox Lewis was relying on his defence and his attacks being footwork orientated and, and Frank Bruno was relying on his defence being his, his gloves up by his head and, um, and and sort of crashing through anything that Lennox had to offer. Um, but in, in, in the second round, um, I really felt like, you know, Frank Bruno was beginning to, you know, take centre up, he's warming up his timing um, and was catching Lennox. Lennox looked a little off balance. Although we say about his footwork, I think sometimes he used to almost trip himself up a little bit. Um, there was a couple of times when, you know, his balance looked a little off. He's missing um, Frank Bruno's timing. I think maybe because Frank Bruno's not super sharp, I think his timing must be a little bit awkward. Because the shots that Frank Bruno were throwing were not particularly like surprisingly lightning quick, but they was seemed to be landing quite often on Lennox. And um, this kind of surprised me throughout the, the second round. Like I say, um, I thought initially when I was going to look back at this, that I was going to be seeing Frank Bruno on the receiving end predominantly because I just remember the last part of, of, of the fight. But um, I was really impressed with Frank Bruno. Um, his, his work ethic was definitely there. Was, you know, digging down, doing a constant work rate, really working his jab well to the body and to the head and coming in with really good double jab and cross punch as well, which um, looked like it was uh, gaining the respect of Lance Lewis. And I would have given um, Frank Bruno that second round. Yeah, I think uh, I think this, he definitely took that second round. And then, um, funny enough, I straight away in that uh, the start of the second round, uh, Frank Bruno catches Lennox Lewis with two jabs, uh, like straight, straight, straight flush in the nose. Yeah. Um, and that seems to, it doesn't rock him in any way, but I think it did shock him because yeah. just after that, his feet are a bit not, you know, not in like uh, his legs are wobbly or anything like that, but just mm. he stumbled a little, like just sort of tripped over his foot a little bit and yeah. didn't look as as light on his feet as he had in that first round as he was mm. the first round he was kind of dancing around a bit around the outside yeah. of the ring whereas this second round he looks a little less sure of himself um yeah and he and he, he even uh ties up uh frank bruno into a clinch towards the end of the round mm. um just but you know obviously frank is a big boy and if he you know, if he hits you with a, a couple of punches, you've got to respect that. And I think he definitely gained the respect of Lennox Lewis in the second round. If he, if mm. Lennox Lewis thought after the first round that it was going to be, or even, you know, before the fight, that he was going to come in and, you know, dispose of Frank easily, then mm. he, by the end of the second round, he knew that that wasn't the case. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I, I think Lennox was a little surprised. Um, I think it was more awkward for him than he was perhaps going to anticipate, but like you said, you know, he was in the early stages, really, of his development still. Uh, I think Lennox Lewis improved and, and definitely proved himself to be the best in the world um, as time went on. But I think at this point, we're probably seeing Frank Bruno at his best. I think it's one of the best I've ever seen him look. And we're probably seeing Lennox Lewis 
not quite look his best because we know he's performed so much better and fought you know more dangerous opponents um you know after this fight um yeah but this this third round you know just saw more of um, Frank Bruno having success really um and then he wobbles uh, Lennox Lewis and I know in the interviews that um, when I was making a little research about this you know Lennox Lewis was stating how that he, you know he wasn't hurt it was more of a stumble and but yeah he looked a little rocked but one thing that Lennox Lewis does do he rides out punches really well so yeah he has this lower guard yeah he relies on footwork but he he, he's, he seems to have movement in his head when he does get tagged you know he's not one of these people who are stiff and rigid um and, and, you know, Len, uh, sorry, Frank Bruno is the opposite on that. You know, he's very stiff, very rigid. And, and when he gets hurt, it's quite visually that he, he sort of like stiffens up and he looks rocked. Mm. Um, Lennox Lewis really rode them out really well. He sort of danced out that 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 little hiccup that he had in this third round. Um, but it, I just saw more of Frank Bruno um, taking centre. He looked like he's just mildly outworking Lennox Lewis and just looked more the positive um, fighter. And I, I gave um, Frank Bruno that third round as well. Yeah, I think so. I, um, <clears throat> let, uh, you know, by this third round, uh, Frank Bruno's thrown a lot more punches than Lennox Lewis. Mm. Lennox Lewis is still, as we said in the the pre-fight stats, he's more accurate. But uh, yeah. Frank Bruno in the second round, he threw ninety-six punches um, mm. to Lennox Lewis's seventy odd, and there's the same very similar stats in the third round and. Uh, I think Lennox Lewis is the thing which helps him is one he can you know he can take a punch, uh, but also he can. He's he's always moving, so right. like you said, where he gets hit, his head's moving, but his yeah. he's always on the move. He, he yeah. never seems to be stood in front of Frank Bruno for right. Frank Bruno to you know to really hit him with a couple of couple of shots. Um, mm-hmm. Lennox Lewis started that third round a bit better. He, he hit Frank yeah. Bruno with a couple of couple of nice shots. I think it was a left a left overhand mm. um, that got through. Yeah. But 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 Frank, like you said, technically was controlling the the ring and controlling mm. the space. He was making Lennox Lewis go where he wanted him to go. Um, yeah, I I very much agree with that. I just wish that you know if for for Frank to have had uh, Frank to have had more success when he appeared to have rocked Lennox Lewis. Um, when he got him backed up, um, he went. He, he got success with the double jab um, right cross, um, all long punches. I mean, they're really outstretched when they landed. I think it would have been better if he carried on flurrying with the straight punches, but he didn't. He went straight in with an overhook um, and, and sort of clouded his own work and get, got himself tied up, um, which was a shame because he, like, he just missed the moment a little bit there. I think he should have kept yeah. everything long. Well, I just, uh, where he's playing now in the background, I just got to the bit where he rocked uh, Lennox Lewis. And straight after mm. he rocks him and he sort of snaps his head back a bit, he goes in and Lennox Lewis tries to pull him in for the clinch. And he's mm. unsuccessful in clinching up. And uh, yeah. Frank nails him with an uppercut in the clinch. And it's, yeah. uh, that nail, you know, that lands quite flush with about a minute and a half to go in the round. Um, yeah. And I do feel, looking at it now, as if with this minute and a half to go, Lennox Lewis does not look comfortable. And, no. um, you know, if Frank could have really poured on the pressure, like you see for fighters doing, you know, 2020, yeah. where, you know, when they smell blood in boxing or MMA, they really go in for the kill, mm. sometimes mm. to their detriment and they gas out or they, mm. you know, they get caught themselves. But you feel like if he had really pushed, 
because he's like he's got Lennox Lewis in the corner now with a minute to go, and Lennox Lewis does not look at all comfortable. He's got him right up in the corner, and if he could, you know, really, really get into it, I feel like he could have maybe, yeah, you know, yeah, won, yeah. The, won the fight before, yeah, early on because obviously, yeah, Frank just unfortunately just he doesn't have that that sort of flurry style. He, he doesn't have no. that, you know, oh, I've injured someone and, and that, that absolute killer instinct. Um, he's clearly a big hitting man, but I think he does a lot of his damage with the one that he connects with. And I think like to try and yes. chase it up, he doesn't have the best awareness to, to, to make combinations land once he's already done damage. Like I say, I felt like he crowded his own work a little bit. Um, but nevertheless, it, it was a good round. And it was another round that went in favour of Frank, in my opinion. Um, yeah, it was all about whether he could maintain form because I think this high guard was working well. I think the fact that he was doing, you know, body jabs as well as, um, you know, doubling up and even tripling up jabs up to, to the head to try to stop Lennox Lewis being, you know, counter orientated. Um, I think he was do, doing initially really, really well. Um, yeah, so certainly, I think, you know, initially getting ahead in the fight. It's funny you mentioned about the count, uh, Lennox Lewis countering. Because just mm. with about 40 seconds to go, Frank Bruno did push forward a little bit and uh, Lennox Lewis leant back and hit a big, what like, big wide right hook. Yeah. And it went kind of over the top of Frank Bruno's high guard and he caught him yeah. sort of on the side of the face. And that yeah. snapped back uh, Frank Bruno's head. And yeah. he then, for the rest of that, that 45 seconds that was left in that round, he backed off then. Yeah. So I think Lennox Lewis, obviously, it was like a, almost like like a warning that yeah. maybe, you know, don't think that because you've, you know, caught me with a couple of good jabs that this is it because he yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just watching the replay now, like Frank Bruno really did. He definitely rocked him. Like I know Lennox yeah. Lewis has said since that he didn't, but 100% he did. Yeah, you yeah. can just see in the way he reacts to it. Yeah, um, I don't think it was hugely... You know, you know, no, it wasn't huge, you know, like but, he was wobbling, but it could, it was certainly something to have been built, uh, built upon for that moment. But I yes. felt like, yeah, you know, uh, Frank Bruno kind of like let that chance slip away a little bit and um, allowed him to get back in the uh, get back in the round and back in the fight. Yeah, I agree with that. What about uh, what did you make of round four? Yeah, round four, uh, we saw Lennox Lewis come out. Uh, quite fast. Um, this is where I think he started to notice that it was a, a, a good thing to go at Frank Bruno rather than let Frank Bruno come forward to him. Um, so he started uh, coming out with really fast jabs, um, getting the jab crosses going. Um, started getting successes with his jab as well. I, I felt like um, you know Frank Bruno was initially getting the better of the jab game. Um, but we started seeing uh, Frank... Uh, get get jabbed up a little bit. And you started noticing. Uh, I think it was his left eyelid, isn't it? Yep, it'd be less. His left eyelid started showing signs that it was beginning to swell. So you know some of these shots were getting through. Um, they were, it would be this round really become a jab war for the first portion of the mm. uh, the round. They was both really trying to see who could get get the established jab going. Um, and and you really contrasting difference. You, you've you still got Frank Bruno plodding with his jab. Um, you know, really trying to set up just the, the, the timing for it to be at the end of his shot. And then you've got Lennox Lewis, who has that footwork orientated, trying to stamp in with his lead foot. He literally was stamping his lead foot as he as he tried to push it through even deeper. Um, I'm not too sure what the boxing 
term and technicality behind him coming in the way he was with that jab. But that was just a defining difference. Um, he's really stamping that foot. Um, but like I say, I felt like Lennox perhaps started to realise that when he presses forward, is this is where he's going to get some successes. Um, he was still on the outer fringes of the ring, um, still very much Frank doing um, you know what he had done in the previous rounds. I just felt like maybe his work weight wasn't quite up to what it had been in the previous rounds. We might have seen the first stages of him just plateauing a little bit with his work rate, but nothing to you know, nothing where I thought, oh, Frank's you know really fading out big here. Still had really high guard, still had his wits about him, and it just looked like Lennox was coming back a little bit more, and and Frank was perhaps doing a little bit less back. Um, and Lennox certainly was backpedaling a little less. Uh, yeah, so I, I think this was when things were beginning to switch up a little bit and Lennox was going to begin to start looking like he could be more dangerous because uh, up until then, it was all really eyes on what Frank was doing. But um, I think we saw inklings of what was going to be coming in later rounds in this round. I think this was quite an even round. Um, be, I wouldn't like to give it either way. I, I would say it was an even round. I think, uh, I think I probably would have just given it to Lennox Lewis. Um, yeah. I just think uh, this was. I agree with you that maybe the first signs that Frank was getting a bit tired, but mm. also I think more than that, I think it was more Lennox Lewis upped his his output. He upped Absolutely. his work rate. His he was his feet were moving quicker, and you know he, we said mm. he had been quite light on his feet, but he was mm. quick around the ring. You know he were he was moving yeah. from corner to corner. So even when Frank was backing him up a bit he was moving so frank mm. was having to chase him down and then as soon as frank was in position lennox lewis would hit him with a couple of jabs or a bit later in the round he was hitting him with some overhands and frank was yeah. still trying to do that same plodding uh game plan that he displayed in the first three rounds but lennox lewis yeah. had changed changed his game plan or at least made it more aggressive yeah absolutely i i absolutely agree with that um you know one of my criticisms if any about Lennox Lewis uh, was that sometimes sometimes he relaxes off the gas when it, it doesn't look visually like he he had to he just sometimes gets yeah. a little bit I, I suppose lazy I, I don't know if you want to say that a little bit complacent maybe um maybe disguises how tired he really is but sometimes he just seems to wait a lot and I don't know he just looks so good when he comes forward yet he does it That's, not very uh, often. sorry to interrupt you Matt. Sorry, I'm really sorry to interrupt you, mate. That's interesting. They just uh, flashed up. I'm watching the one I'm watching is off HBO, so it's the American. Uh, they just right. flashed up. It said Lederman's scorecard. So I'm not sure if that's one of the judges or if that's. Right. You know, I would have thought it's one of the pundits, mm. and he's given yeah. every single round to Frank Bruno ten nine. Right. Okay. Which I found quite interesting because I yeah, think yeah. we gave the first three to Bruno, or maybe the no. We, did we give one yeah, to first, one, first, I, first, first round one... to Lennox? Yeah, it's really hard, the first one. I, 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 mean, I personally Bruno put even. Then... I found it hard to judge. And then I put Frank um, Frank again, um, taking the, the middle rounds. Two and three. Um, then, then Lennox Lewis, round four. Um, yeah, I, I sort of like got Lennox taking the last rounds. But I'm, look, we, we're not boxing proper specialists. And, and no. for the say that Frank run every round, I could see that they would give it to him because he was taking centre more. Um, so... Yeah, and I think he Frank, was slightly throwing more. Yeah, Frank Bruno's eye, his left eye looks really quite swollen going yeah. into the round five. 
is starting to yeah. close up and which That's shows right, that, yeah. like you said, Lennox Lewis's jabs were getting through. They were getting maybe through. that overhand right as well. Yeah, 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 Just maybe so. Him. But um, you know, initially uh, that this, this this fifth round though, um, you know, Frank Bruno, where you would normally see him fade and fade and fade, but he he still looked good. He, he's he's come out looking sharp. He's hands are nice lucky. and high. Yeah, yeah, he still had a really nice high guard. Um, you know, make, makes him look you know safe from the potential really dangerous Lance Lewis. Um, you had Lance Lewis complain as well about some cuffs around the back of the head. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think Frank Bruno's intentionally a dirty fighter. Um, no. But you know, uh, you know, some of them were were cuffing around the back of the head a little bit. The fact that Lance Lewis was complaining goes to show he was a little bit frustrated in there, and he knew he wasn't getting it all his own way. Um, so that was an interesting, thing, you know, to see Lance Lewis complain like that. Um, um, as the round started going, though, you started seeing this uh, double jab cross punch by Lance Lewis, almost to a point where he's off balance, trying to reach with that overhand right. I know he's had successes in fights before with his overhand right. Um, so you know maybe he's put a little bit of hopes on it, but it was making him look aggressive, and it was making Frank Bruno either have to stay and meet hard, which would take more of his gas tank, yeah. or, or or you know accept the attacks a little bit. Um, I think this is a really good game plan if it was the game plan for Lance Lewis to keep meeting him like he did in round four. Frank um, hit him with the two lovely right hooks. Um, yes, he did with about one minute, one minute forty to go, just after. Um, Lennox Lewis hit that combination, which you said, uh, the, sorry, I forgot what you said now, uh, jab with the overhand right. Yeah, um, that's right. He come back at him. Just after that, he hit him two big right hooks and straight away yes. Lennox Lewis complained again about the shots to yeah. the back of the head. Sure. But, um, one thing I'd say is Lennox Lewis does not look tired in any way. He looks... No, no, no. Yeah, he looks the same. Fighting fit. Like, he could go another 12 rounds. You know, he could keep going. Whereas Frank... Mm. Is sweating a lot. His eyes closed. He does start. He's starting to show the wear and tear of the fight. Whereas yeah. on the scorecards, he's probably well, he is up. Yeah. So it's interesting, isn't it? How you yeah, know the scorecards is saying one way, but the damage yeah, yeah. and the the fatigue is showing another. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. Um, I, I was still, I was still really impressed. Like I say, you know, I, I'd forgotten. You know a lot of what the fight was all about. I just remember the end to end of it predominantly, but I was really impressed with um, Frank Bruno because Lennox Lewis was really trying, trying to establish before the halfway point that he was going to be on the combat trail and start taking back these rounds. Um, but Frank was really meeting him um, and, and started changing up his um, punching angles. He started looking for double body hooks. Um, he had that bit of success, like what you said as well. Um, then he started catching Lennox with jabs again. Um, and I was really impressed with it. You know, it's just like approaching one minute left in the bout. Um, yeah, I, I initially thought that this was really impressive for, um, from, from Frank, especially from, you know, fights that I know he'd had before, where sometimes he would, you know, his work rate would really plateau out by the halfway mark. It still looked like he, he was well in it. He still felt that he had the belief that he could win. Um and it, it was making for a really good round. I think this was one of the more interesting rounds because they both had successes. But Lennox Lewis, what, about what, 40 seconds, 30 seconds from the end, gets success with a double jab cross again. Um, Frank Bruno comes straight back with shots of his own and gets successes. Um, I think this was a really close round, really hard to score. Um, you know, a push comes to shove. I did put on here, I'd give it to Lennox. Um, 
I just think you know he was perhaps a little bit more successful with his successes than than Frank Bruno was. But as an observation of how I remembered Frank Bruno as a fighter, I was quite impressed that we're you know coming up to the halfway mark and he was switching up to the body hooks and it goes to show you still got his mind about him and, and trying to bring new things to the table as the fight progressed. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, <clears throat> he was varying it up nicely. Um, yeah. That was, a, that, I think, that was probably the best round of the fight um, in terms yeah, of a good. both both fighters really started to go for it a bit. Um, it's interesting when you watch the replays; um, you can really see how much it, uh, his eyes closed because his other eye, yeah. his his right eye, looks as if it's wide open, but I don't yeah. think it is. It's just because the other eyes really closed um that's right so what oh, i thought they were stopping it they were just wash uh, wiping away the vaseline off lens yeah there's too much yeah so, there's um, too much on there so round six comes in um lennox lewis does not look the remotely uh fatigued in any no. way he looks like he's just started out which you'd expect from the you know the younger fighter should be the you know yeah, yeah a bit fitter um but Lennox, uh, Lennox uh, Frank Bruno is still, his guard is really high. He does look a bit more, uh, what's the word? He looked a bit shakier in defence there uh, in the early few 30 seconds. Uh, Lennox Lewis threw a couple of punches and he just looked a bit off balance, Frank. Um, yeah. But, but you know, it's uh, interesting straight away. Yeah, yeah, they come out. I mean, that was really jabbing again as another round of like <laughs> they like it's almost like they, they put all the other shots distance, to the side yeah they, they were both really you know not just throwing singles there was doubles and triples and i think even at one stage there was like four jabs coming out at, at once so as a combination almost like um so yeah. it's like they the both of them really wanted the establishment of, of a superior jab on each other and i don't think anyone really dominated over anyone else with that jab um, uh, and, and this is why you were seeing, you know, the cross hand coming over the top, uh, you know, looking to try to throw something in the mix. But those both really fighting for range with this jab. Um, it, it made interesting viewing because, you know, to see heavyweights put together so many jabs, uh, you know, in triples and even quadruples, <laughs> it was really quite unusual. Um, but for the first time, you see odd times with Frank was started to drop his lead hand. Um, he, he yeah. would have a double high guard and if you have a look what time are we in on this round I think we're only like, coming up at just a minute in that left hand's be just beginning to go wayward he's just struggling to hold it up and he's got really muscular set shoulders and upper arms um, so you know he was getting a bit of lactic acid involved there um, and he was footworking back a lot more than he had uh, done in any of the other rounds in fact this is the first round where he's going back more than Lennox was he was still getting successes um, he was trying to do some inward boxing, um, holding Lennox. He said, I don't think it's allowed, but um, he was holding his head and punching up and hooks. So, you know, he was definitely, definitely fit, but nevertheless, those big muscles need energy. And I think, I think he was getting his first real big deficit dump um, in those um, big arms of his. Uh, I, I, what I see now is, is the different in, in engines of energy level here. Um, although I think, Frank Bruno dug deep to throw equal amount of shots to Lennox, maybe even more. Um, it looked like it took more out of him to throw those shots than it was for Lennox. It yeah. looks like Lennox is um, still coasting the rounds, um, yeah. holding something back. The, um, 
the thing I noticed as well off the stats is Frank Bruno's throwing a lot more, but Lennox Lewis is hitting. Uh, at, you know, he's hitting his target a lot more. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing is you can see uh, Lennox Lewis now is starting to load up that that overhand right um, yeah. or that right hook. Um, so whether that's just because he's gaining in confidence or he's noticing that Frank Bruno's hand is, his left hand is dropping a bit. Because like in the the first five rounds, Lennox Lewis's uh, Frank Bruno's left hand is almost up here. Yeah, that's right. He had um, it very high. So by the end of by by the end of round six, it's down here. Just started um, to go wayward. Yeah. You know, and that's um, Lennox Lewis is obviously his big shot is that sort of right hook overhand, or the overhand right. right. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I think he was um, yeah measuring up a little bit um, for for some successes uh, in the round. But, you know, this start of round seven saw Frank Bruno really coming out. And he, I think he just overrun himself here. Um, I was, uh, this is why I was really impressed. I think this is why we've probably seen him um, at his best physically. Because he, he was still fit. Although he was getting a bit fatigued in those big muscles, he still had quite good form. Um, and he was yeah. definitely fit because he really took it to Lennox. And I think this was to try to say to Lennox Lewis, hey, look, we're at the halfway point just past but um, I'm still ready to go the, the whole amount of rounds at, rounds at a good pace. But he crowded his work again. Um, if you have a look, he, he got some successes and with, with the, you know, d- doubling and tripling up the jabs. Then he went with uppercuts and hooks. And I just think with those big, heavy muscles of his, it, he's never going to be fast with those hooks and, and never going to be super powerful. And, um, but Lennox Lewis is so devastating with his uppercuts. I think his uppercuts are some of the best that we've ever seen in um, heavyweight boxing. And he just started nailing Frank Bruno and it started looking horrid for him. Um, he was literally measuring him with yeah, one hand and then throwing the uppercut. Yeah, it was, it, it was horrible. And I actually thought when the ref stepped in, I thought the fight was going to get stopped there and then. But um, uh, they, they, they let it continue on. But it was a handful of shots, a little more than. Um, and Frank was pretty much out on his feet. I mean, fair play to Frank to not fall over onto the canvas. Um, he goes to show his experience to lock out his legs and hold himself up on the ropes. But um, yeah, it, it was it was a good stoppage by the referee. Yeah, and Lennox Lewis uh, smelt blood. You know, as soon as yeah. he felt that felt Frank yeah. going, um, like as soon as got... he felt the guard drop, he was in. Yeah, yeah, it's like he has more gears in his game. He has that footwork that can make you really dangerous, um, you know, because he, he can float in and float out. It just it just looks like he's just got different speed gear ratios, whereas Frank Bruno just doesn't have that. And and when he did try to do it, that's, that was the final undoing of him, really. He really tried to pour it on and, and, and do what was kind of needed of him to to establish dominance, but he just doesn't have that style. He tried to open up and it left his defense to be countered. And and when he got countered, the gear change in Lennox was clearly seen. He stepped it up and he didn't stop until that round was done. And it happened all too early in the round for Frank to, to be able to get to the finish line of that round and see through. Um, it would have perhaps been good to see Frank, you know, carry on doing what he was doing and having successes with, and maybe put energy in with those flurries knowing that, hey, okay, look, I'm 40 seconds out from the end of a round. Right, I'm going to go at him now um, and let's see if I can put a, a, a statement down on the round and on the fight 
And if he was to get rocked like he did, he could at least get to the finish line. I think even you know referees, knowing it's approaching the end of a round, might let a fight go on a little longer because um, they know the end of the round is just about to ensue. But the fact that this was so early on um, really give Frank no chance to get through the round against someone like Lennox Lewis. Yeah, especially because he was measuring those shots so uh, yeah. so clearly. He yeah. was basically holding him in holding him where he wanted and uh, just, you know, unleashing it. So, yeah, there was, I don't think as, there was any way they could have let it keep going, really. No, as tall and as rangy as Lennox Lewis is, I think some of his best work is his hooks and uppercuts. I think it's, his, it's in close range. Um, it's obviously great outward, don't get me wrong, but he, he had a much superior inward boxing game than, than Frank Bruno. Um, and it showed. I mean, those uppercuts are utterly disgusting. Yeah, they looked big. horrible. Nasty. Um, would take a normal man's head clean off. Um, yeah, really good performance. And, and, you know, we see Lennox Lewis go on and, and, and develop as a fighter and really become a dominant force. Um, I would have loved to have seen Lennox Lewis uh, of fault Tyson when Tyson was actually at his peak. Um, yeah. I, I just I'm sure we'll like, cover that fight, the, uh, the Lewis yeah, Tyson fight. Yeah. Um, but... I ju- just wish it happened a few years earlier than it did. Um but yeah, I mean, Lennox Lewis is, is truly one of the greats. Um, and Frank Bruno was one of the fighters that we all had in our hearts. Uh, I remember, yeah. you know, my mum and dad would always watch these fights and we'd sit down together and always watch them. And you know, my mum loved Frank Bruno, so naturally, so, so did the son. So I always loved him. Yeah. And I remember really rooting for him in this fight. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I, Lennox, Lennox Lewis is one of the, greatest British boxers of all time um, and this yeah. you know this is early in his career and I think that's I, that's why I found it very interesting to watch um, much like you I thought Lennox Lewis had destroyed Frank Bruno um, and mm. it's only when you watch it back that actually Frank Bruno was ahead on the card he was doing well yeah but he just maybe whether he tired or whether Lennox Lewis just became a more aggressive um, but it's interesting to watch this learning curve for, uh, for Lennox Lewis because yeah, you know, he beat beat Frank Bruno. Yeah. In the end, uh, it, you know the way he finished him was quite comprehensive. Uh, yeah, but he would have learned a lot from this fight, and his team would have learned a lot from this fight, especially those early rounds. Yeah, yeah, I I think um, you know uh, as he started fighting, you know these these high ranked fighters and and beating them, it gives you gave him him an aura of confidence, and I think a confidence Lennox Lewis is is. It's a really dangerous opponent. Um, I think we saw, you know, him. Not, I wouldn't even say have doubts, but not not know what he's up against truly when he was in there with Frank. You know, he was still giving him respect. I think Lennis is at his best when he has no respect for that fighter, when he knows he's the superior guy. I think going into this fight, he was still learning, you know, where he was. In 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 the uh, in, in the rankings, I think um, Frank Bruno was actually ranked like number five as an all time heavyweight at the time. Um, you know, so not not quite. Obviously, he deserved his right to be in there with Lance Lewis, but I know this has always been an issue, isn't there, with boxing of them holding different belts yes, and, yeah. and different things. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, Lance Lewis went on to shine brighter and brighter after this after this bout, and I just think this was. Uh, um, I, I think he pro- started to really make roads of improvement um, thereafter this experience in there with Frank Bruno. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. 
Um, okay, so um, we'll cover another fight next week, and we'll also discuss UFC two next week. We're going to talk UFC one uh, now. We're not going to go through it round by round and fight by fight. We're just going to kind of we'll go discuss each fight, but without you know really going into the amount of detail that we would normally. Um, but first of all, I wanted to just say uh, this. Obviously, this is UFC one is a real early concoction of what the UFC is now. Um, the the tagline was "There are no rules." Uh, they, in fact, with very limited rules, but um, there was no biting or eye, eye gouging. But you were allowed to pull hair, headbutt, groin strikes, and fish hooking. Um, this obviously changed as the years went on. But in this first mm. tournament, uh, it's also a tournament. Uh, format so instead of like a card of fights it's a knockout tournament from start to finish with the final being the final two fighters um there's no weight limits so you can have super heavyweights versus flyweights or whatever it may be mm. um which you know obviously again changed as the year went years went on but the, this was a very interesting spectacle yeah yeah i mean this was back when you know, it was really martial art versus martial art. And we, you know, we really yes. don't get that anymore. Of course, we're, you're, you're going to have fighters like Damian Mo specialize in the ground arts more than any other area. So it's kind of predictable where he wants to take the fight. And you, you, you could say that about, you know, Adesanya for his striking. You know, you know where he predominantly wants it. And it's about trying to keep it there. But, you know, fighters today are well-versed in, in every area. area. You can even see a British fighter now that, hasn't got a pedigree in wrestling managed to stay on the feet against you know a way superior wrestler in terms of credentials uh, but the sport of mma has evolved and you can now anti-wrestle and um and just because you're a superior wrestler doesn't mean you're going to get the fight to the ground anymore it, the sport's developed no. of its own right um but you know you can't help but have a love for the way it was you know a kung fu guy against a karate and a sumo guy you know, versus a kickboxing, you know, what would happen? Well, it was full of wonders, wonderful questions that no one knew the answers to, truly. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at the Royce Gracie fights, um, you know, he barely, barely, I don't think he threw a punch in the two or three fights he has in this tournament. Mm. He barely threw a punch. Uh, even no, when he was right, on the yeah. ground and he would have mount, no punches thrown, a couple of kicks. The kicks yeah. were very... Similar to what John Jones does now, where it's down and forward onto the the kind of yeah. knee joint to set up for the you know for the takedown. Mm. Um, there there was also uh, no doping probes at this time. Uh, there was mm. no judge score. There was no time limits. The only way you mm. could win was by your corner throwing in the towel, knockout, or mm. tap out. Um, yeah. The first bout we saw, which was so interesting to me. Uh, I haven't watched it for a, for a long time, um, and it was uh, Gerard Gordeau, uh, who was a Svat fighter, versus Telia Tuli, who is yeah. a sumo wrestler, who is mm. also stars in Hawaii Five-0 uh, and the, the Magnum PI and a couple of other TV mm. shows now. Um, <laughs> so, like, some people would have been if some people watched this along with us and they weren't familiar with it, they may have looked at it and gone, "Oh my God, it's him from the TV." Yeah, yeah, but yeah. He was a he was a proper sumo wrestler. He was a it was not a you know like a freak show type of thing where they brought a celebrity mm -hmm. in. Um, but he got knocked the f out. 
Yeah, quickly. I mean, it's the first ever fight in UFC. And um, what a fight. I mean, I, I think the commentator said, was that, yeah, the teeth shot out over towards where they were. Uh, I mean, yeah, it don't get any more dramatic than, than, than it was. And I think that just set the precedence of how some of these matches were potentially going to go. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's all about back then, you know, not having established ideas about how fighting was really going to go, uh, knowing that you're going to be doing knockout rounds and have all those fights in one day. You want to be getting people out of there as quick as you possibly can. And um, and you really saw that throughout the theme of, of the early shows. People were getting victories very, very early on. And, um, and, and well, this was the first ever one, and um, it really didn't last long at all. Um, you know, the, the sumo wrestler, I mean, he's in a totally different environment. Um, you know, when you're fighting sumo and they're fighting each other, they, they lock horns somewhat, don't they? And they, they're pushing weight into weight. Whereas a Savat guy, totally opposite stylist, doesn't want to get into any kind of confrontation other than striking confrontation. And the Savat guy did exactly what he should do, which is circle off center. He got driven back um, and he backed away. I call it like a repelling magnet. He repelled away. He didn't want to obviously meet forces with a guy so much heavier than himself. No, no. Foot worked away. The big guy being a big, heavy lump, steaming forward like a sumo wrestler only knows how to do. Steam forward so far. He ran himself off balance, didn't he? Um, yeah, fell against and then the he cage. Just got cracked. Yeah, being a big lump of a guy, couldn't get back to his feet very quickly at all. Um, kind of looked like a tortoise trying to get back on his feet with no assistance, and um, got a kick to the face, an absolute brutal kick to the face. I mean, this Savat guy is like six foot six, and he's a big guy. I and mean, I don't know what people know about Savat, but Savat is actually a very skillful art. Um, I was going to ask you actually. Yeah, where they kick with the explain yeah. what it is. Nearly all full contact fighters know that you, you the only part of your foot you really want to kick with it is the under part of the foot with the heel, the side blade of the foot with a side kick. And when you do teeps, you do it with the uh, under tray of the toes. Um, you know, they could do their turning kicks, you know, where we would normally do, say, a, well, like a roundhouse kick. We'd normally always land with our shins. But so that's don't. They bend back the toes and they'll kick with the foot all the time, just the foot. So they have super precision. Um, they're really quite athletic and acrobatic in their approach as well. Um, now it's a real devastating striking system. Some of the best strikers in the world will come from the Sabat background. Um, I think it's a bit of a dying, dying art now. Um, you don't hear much about it, but um, you know, if you know you're coming up against a proficient Sabat guy, well, give them some respect because they're, 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 they're brutal martial artists. They really are. And it was kind of demonstrated very, very briefly there, but that was one kick. Good night. It was, it was well, the thing is, like that, uh, Telia Tuli, uh, you know, his only way as a sumo wrestler, um, his only way to win was going to be getting on top and beating them into submission from like a, a ground and pound yeah. where yeah. they literally can't get him off because he's so big. Whereas, you know, some of the other guys had a bit more about him, so he had to go forward to get. You know, he wasn't going to sit behind his jab or anything like that. But, you know, I, I know that they mm. didn't have that technique at, at this time. But what I mean is, like, he, the only way he was winning was to get on top and get use his yeah. weight. Yeah, and he got, so. got caught yeah. by a brutal kick. Um, it was weird, though, because they stopped it as if they were stopping it to let him get cleaned up and then they were going to yeah. start again. I think that's where they weren't quite familiar, maybe, with what Yeah, was... I think... 
even the referees were unsure of yeah. what to do and in I, the whole this game. It's not like the, I mean, the, the referees now are so ultra qualified. I see backstage with Bellator, and I've, I'm lucky enough to call it a couple of times in in UFC as well. Um, you know, the referees come to each um, fighter before they go out, give them a rundown on are there any questions. They really know every single detail of what to do in in every conceivable circumstance. You can see there that they really didn't know what to do. Do, do, do they stop to check the cut and that it resume, or they yeah, didn't know what? It was to almost do. like the sumo guy was so shocked to have lost his teeth that he thought <laughs> that he could check and then mm. you know he'd Carry be allowed on. to continue, sort of thing. Mm. Um, the next fight was uh, or the the fight to see who would face Gordo in the next round was uh, Kevin Rosier, who was a kickboxer. Versus Zane Frazier, who was a American Kenpo. American yeah. Kenpo. So is that that's karate? It's basically, that... it's basically kickboxing. It's um, right, right. you're given a karate term. Uh, it, it's it's really a kickboxing system, to be honest. It's not karate as people know okay. karate today. Um, so Kevin Rosier won via referee stoppage. Was yeah, corner corner stoppage. This one, uh, the, the corner threw the towel in. Um, yeah, what yeah, did you make but, of this fight? <laughs> it, it was it was entertaining. Um, the, the footwork of Kevin was just terrible coming forward, but he's a big lump of a guy. Um, managed to back uh, Zane up and get him to the ground briefly. And um, you could tell they both didn't know what they was doing on the ground. Um, you had Kevin, you know, try to hammer fist and 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 do very inaccurate ground and pound. They scrambled back to the feet again. Um, you see a bit of a groin strike from Zane. I think it need need to the old private parts, um, and that saw Kevin with his back against the fence and Zane looking more athletic. You know, he, he looked like he was in better shape uh, yeah. than Kevin was. And Kevin started being on the receiving end. Now, you know, looking at this fight, you'd be thinking that he's not far from being out, but he toughed it out. Um, he, he took the knees, took the inward boxing. Um, so there was clinch and boxing and uppercuts going on. But then Zane looked like he was running out of a puff a little bit, and, and then Kevin started coming back, and it, it was so entertaining, you know. Yeah, it was really good. Wasn't it? It, you you got to always remind yourself these people are, are not proficient in the term of MMA. It was not MMA; it's called mixed martial arts, not because they yeah. were mixed in their skill set. It was mixed martial art because it's martial art versus martial art, and yeah. um, and they had to improvise. They had to improvise that it weren't a ring. They had to improvise the fact that it was in a cage. Um, having your back up against the cage is vastly different from ropes. Um, you know, some of these yeah. guys would have fought only ever on an open mat, you know, being karate and taekwondo, but they wouldn't experience a cage or a ring. So it was interesting to see them improvise on the spot. Um, but it, it was looking like it was going all the Zane's way. Um, and Zane got it to the ground a little bit with, with Kevin down in a turtle position. And um, it looked like it was curtains for him. But he broke out from that. When they both stood up, Zane looked absolutely done. His hands were down by his mm-hmm. side. And, and then we had Kevin Rosier um, started to come forward, gaining more confidence. And it wasn't long before Zane literally collapsed, I think, more from exhaustion. But yeah. in true old school MMA, as it was back then, fashion, you saw that good old head stomp coming in. Because, of course, mm-hmm. some kicks and that are allowed. Um, it was another, another grounded kick um, that ended the bout. Um, in the form of a head stomp. <laughs> it looked absolutely brutal. <laughs> oh, it did indeed. Um, yeah, and like a lot of these guys, like when it when it came to outside of their martial art, 
So if some of them went, some of them went to the ground or into grappling, they did not have a clue what to do. Um, but that was what made it so interesting. Yeah, it's like it's almost like the I don't want to say the freak show because that's almost disrespectful, but like it's that aspect of it of the yeah. just martial art versus martial art and no weight divisions, and it just mm. it makes for some very entertaining viewing. Yeah, and, and next got, up. Yeah, sorry, just to finish off on that as well. Did you see the interview as well with that Kevin afterwards? Did you, did you, did you um, see I'm not sure I did. I probably did, yeah. No. Okay, it's really interesting. They're saying, oh, you know, how did you find it in there? He goes, oh, it's really great. I'm just here to entertain. Um, oh, yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he was saying how that there have been many shows that he had, you know, agreed to do, but none of them, obviously, they got blocked in some form or fashion. You can only but guess, but they never went ahead. And he only had three weeks to prepare. He lost 45 pounds in weight. Um, just three weeks to prepare. Um, you know, so no wonder why you're seeing people in there absolutely gassed out. I mean, yeah, oh god, um, yeah. You know, it, it seems like they scraped together this card with not a lot of time for people to prepare. But one thing I think you would guarantee is that um, Hoist knew when this was going to happen that it was going to happen. I'm sure he had a proper fight camp in preparation. Yeah. But um, but he said, look, I'm in here for the love of it. I'm doing it. This is entertainment, and if I could get in there and do it again, I would. I mean, that's just fantastic. Great um, attitude. Yeah, it's, um, just, it's just interesting. Uh, next up was the legend, the god, Royce Gracie, uh, Brazilian yes. Jiu-Jitsu versus Art yeah. uh, Art Jimerson of uh, boxing. I believe he was a – I forget off the top of my head, though. I think he was like a flyweight champion or a featherweight yeah, champion. Or yeah, something. He, a, he was a boxing a, champion, IBF yeah, legit, champion at the time. Legit professional boxer. But uh, he lasted two minutes and 18 seconds against the legend. Yeah, before, not bad. Uh, not bad. He was um, submitted I mean, to no surprise. Yeah, I mean, this fight got a lot of attention for the fact that, you know, if you look back, he's wearing one boxing glove. Um, I mean, yeah, again, a total... You know, you could you could totally see that in his frame of mind, he doesn't really know what he's getting into. He'd, you know, would you yeah. go in there bare knuckle? Do you not? Shall I have one boxing glove on? It's like, okay, this is mixed martial art. I'll have a boxing glove on and have one bare hand. And I mean, how crazy <laughs> to see one boxing glove on my hand. It's kind of comical to see. But, um, you know, respect to um, Hoist, really. Um, you know, he never disrespected yeah. any of his opponents. He never no. rushed about it. He picked his timing. Um, never threw a punch. About... No, no. He uh, And I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have got him at our gym um, a couple of years ago now, three years ago now maybe, um, to do a seminar. And the way he constructed a seminar was a, a um, completely self-defense orientated aspect of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And it was great, super interesting. He basically run us through all the technical aspects of how he fights. And it was the same thing. It's about, you know, sort of like having your head back, your, your, your arms out, um, stamping at the leg uh, to try to get your entry. He did exactly that here. He was attacking the guy's leg, not mixing it too much with the hands. And he shot him for a double leg. Now, not like a wrestler would do. He, he didn't have his drive and turn phase. He shot him on double legs, stayed down on his knees, and the guy had no aspect of sprawling or um, how to keep his balance. And he got bowled down very, very quickly mounted. And um, I don't think Hoist really had to do anything much. He, he never really got to even um, give a bash down. The guy tapped out. I think he felt the control. Um, yeah. you know, anyone, didn't, he didn't like it, did he? 
No, he didn't. Uh, uh, he take... didn't like that feeling of being controlled completely by but, the other person. And if, if anyone's going to criticise him for, for for tapping out before he received damage, you've got to take yourself back to the first time anyone does Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and and the feeling of helplessness when someone's on top of you. These guys know how to make themselves feel heavy. Now, Hoyt ain't the biggest of men. Um, he's a tall guy, you know, six foot one, but he's not the heaviest of guys. But trust me. You can go in against a guy who weighs 65 kilos. Like my assistant coach, Raymond Paul, he's what weighs about 67 kilos. He makes it feel like he's an 18-wheeler truck on top of, top of you. <laughs> now, Hoyes is a super master of the ground arts. You know full well he's making himself solid. He's going to feel in control. And, and that, in turn, is going to make you feel out of depth and out of control. I am not surprised this guy tapped out. I think he felt that he knew he was in waters that he was not going to get out of and it was only yeah. going to go one way and it was going to get ugly well, for him. I think it's, I'm not sure if it's, it's either UFC two or three where uh, Hoist fights like a super heavyweight, like a massive guy, like three mm. times his size, um, which I'm looking forward to, you know, reliving that one uh, either yes, next yeah, week absolutely. or the week after. Um, so next up was Ken Shamrock. Uh, a lot of people will probably know him from UFC, but also WWE as well, uh, WWF. Yeah. Um, he's a shoot fighter in this. Um, and he is probably, outside of Royce Gracie, the closest thing to a legit UFC fighter at, mm. at, at this stage. Um, and he obviously went on over the years to become a, a, a decent fighter as well, you know, with submissions yeah. and striking. Uh, Patrick Smith, he was fighting, who was a taekwondo expert. Uh, Ken Shamrock yeah. won via submission, uh, one minute 49 via uh, a yeah, yeah. hook, yeah, 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 and a, a horrendously dumb one. Um, yeah, it was I, I nice, mean, it was I, nice to see though, just to see like a, some <laughs> yeah. sort of technical submission, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, he ended up becoming a pretty good submission artist in the big yes. scheme of things, um. It, we wasn't seeing his submissions um, as good as they ended up developing into. But yeah, he, he took Patrick Smith. He got a double under. He's got waist control on Patrick Smith, putting down really early. Um, Patrick Smith used the close guard. Looked like he knew to be dangerous with his elbows in that close guard. But Ken Shamrock's well-versed in, in preventing that. Um, he, he, he always looked like he was going to sit back for this leg lock. I think he knew nearly everybody in there is going to be vulnerable to a leg lock. Um and he went back for it, but he went back for it in a really unusual way where he um, scissored his legs around the waist of Patrick mm. Smith to set up the, the leg lock, which is a really strange way about going about it, um, even for the old other, school methods. Yeah. The other thing as well is the majority of these fighters will never have felt a leg lock and the, mm. you know, the pain and the, the, that feeling of or any submission, like if, if they get an arm bar or something, um, that feeling of feeling like your arm's going to snap or your your, your yeah. legs, your knees going to come out of that joint, they yeah. won't know that. They won't know that feeling. They won't know how far, you know, how far, how much further it can go. Or do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Whereas someone who is who's training in that sort of thing, they know how flexible their arm is, and they know, yeah, sure. you know, when enough is enough. Like, mm. do you know what I mean? Like, like if if someone put an arm bar on you. You know when enough is enough for you. Whereas if someone put an arm bar on me, I would probably tap quite quickly because I would be, it would feel yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's going to break quite soon. Do you see what I mean? 
yeah, normally when someone's getting submitted for the for the first time, it's going to go one of two ways. One where they don't know when to stop because, particularly yeah, in that circumstance, where they're, yeah, because their adrenaline's running so high and they're not aware of what's happening to them, especially with things like heel hooks. They probably had no idea what was being applied to them. So quite often with heel hooks, they quite often don't hurt until they snap. Um, is you just get a weird sensation in your knee and then boof, it, it goes off like a shotgun. Um, yeah, he, uh, it looked like Patrick Smith no, had uh, no idea what he was um, involved with there. Um, but he the wasn't going to hang around to find out either. Yeah, any, any leg lock special. I don't want to criticise Ken Shramrock because no. I, I do see him from time to time. Um, I, I managed to talk to this guy and it's actually a really nice guy. Um, you know, comes across quite cocky and arrogant, but when you actually talk to him, um, always got time for fans. Um, uh, yeah, I managed to be on the same flights as, as him on, on a few occasions and got my picture with him and everything. But really nice man. Um, and well, same I, for not, obviously, you know, I've met Hoist, really nice guy as well. All these guys, I very rarely do meet a rude, horrible character. There, I, yeah. there have been some, but I, I won't mention, but very, very rare. Well, I'm depending on you now, Danny, to get me Royce Gracie and Ken Shamrock for the podcast. Ken Shamrock All is right. one of the... I used to love him. Love him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a big fan too. Yeah, because you so, know, yeah. to me, he was an all, all-rounded fighter. But when you look at that heel hook, that's not how you do a heel hook. No. Um, no. And anyone with halfway decent knowledge on how to defend and prevent them would not have been getting submitted with that, that, that end set up. Um, yeah. But, you know, Ken Shamrock was probably new to learning these techniques as well reasonably so um yeah yeah he, he certainly he, he knew bits about the submission but not all the finer details because his legs were totally in the wrong position here for it yeah but yeah uh, it's entertainment nevertheless it was very interesting yeah yeah uh, so next up we have the semi-finals semi-finals of ufc one uh the first semi-final was gerard godot versus kevin rosier uh godot the savat fighter uh, Rosier, yeah. the kickboxing fighter. So we thought this is going to be a striking fest if, if ever there was going to be one. Uh, and Gerard Gordeaux uh, won by corner stoppage in 59 seconds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to, with all the other fighters that we'd seen, uh, none of them looked none of them looked that good as strikers. Uh, but Gordeaux is clearly a, a skillful savat fighter. Um, he was, you know, doing the jab and the round kick. Um, he not only attacked the lead leg of Kevin, but attacked the rear leg of Kevin as well. Um, he, he was just head and shoulder, and he was by far the fresher guy. I mean, he finished the previous fight with with a kick and a couple of punches. Um, poor Kevin <laughs> uh, Rosie had quite quite a, a war on his hands. With well, he Danny. had the longest fight um, in the whole tournament. Yeah, yeah, he did four so. half minutes, something like that. And the, and as we knew from the interview that we spoke about, we knew he only had three weeks to prepare. So he's absolutely exhausted. He'd given his all already. But again, it was another um, another grounded kick finish, which was yeah. the theme of UFC 1. Didn't, um, it was another another stomp, but this time to the body. Yeah. I was going to say, didn't he have a broken hand as well? Uh, yeah. Um, he had trouble with the hand, whether it was broken or not. I know the commentators were talking about it. Um that is, you know, possibly a broken hand, but he did use it. So I imagine mm. if it was a broken hand, he wouldn't have no, used it wouldn't. at all. But he did no. use it. Um, possibly he had a wrist injury or something there. Who knows? Um, but he he looked good. He looked like a legit good striker Fighter. in there. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So the next semi final was the kind of dream match uh, at the time 
which was Royce Gracie versus Ken Shamrock. Um, yeah. And this was for, for, for people who had knowledge of martial arts. Mm. Um, this was kind of the fight which everyone had wanted. Um, mm. But unfortunately, the way the card, uh, when they did the draw for the card, the way it worked out was that they were on the same side of the bracket. Yeah, yeah. Um, so unfortunately, yeah. it was the semi-final and not the final. Yeah, and again, it was a, like I say, if they're drawing in fighters from only three weeks out to to do this tournament, it goes to show how how there was a lack of event organization there. Um, well, I think yeah, they, they were they, trying they, to they, think. Yeah, I think the problem was they 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 uh, were trying to find somewhere which would allow it to go on. Um, so my understanding is that the the venue would been changed in the months coming up to the event quite a few times before they announced it because they were struggling to get clearance from the relevant you know uh right governing bodies or whatever sure that's from what i understand but i don't know obviously for certain yeah yeah Uh, royce gracie won via submission after 57 seconds were you surprised at how easily uh he beat ken shamrock he beat him with a sleeve choke Um, yeah strange finish as well yeah, it was. I mean, uh, Cameron Shamrock uh, probably did the best strategy that he could hope for to beat Hoist, um, other than trying to stay on his feet, because he's a superior, bigger man, naturally more athletic than than, than Hoist. So he could have used his wrestling maybe to um, stay on his feet and strike, because I, I think, you know, Frank's a reasonable striker, certainly a better striker than Hoist's. Hoist's not really got any background in terms of striking ability. And uh, clearly does not want it striking at all. So you would think maybe Ken would w- want it on the feet. But I think he wanted to test himself out on the ground a little bit. But to give him hope there, he would have had to try to leg lock him. But again, the way he prepped it up and went about it was it's, it's just not not clever. It was not clinical in, in its approach at all. Um, and any proficient BJJ guy just has pretty decent control of all his limbs. And um, he saw this leg lock coming did the right type of things in terms of spoiling it, in terms of that Ken was setting it up so wrong. Um, got got put in a, uh, a potential mount position. Ken was having none of the mount position and um, gave up uh, sort of like a back position, not where the hooks were in. And from that back position, um, Hoist used what he had on uh, as far, part of his fighter to a, a gi. And so he used a sleeve choke, which was really really quite clever and and and, and adhering to his uh, martial art you know he he caught him out with the the very uniform that's um that his martial art is all about which is wearing that gi he caught him out in something that he knew he would not have any idea on how to defend so he used his key to choke him i thought it was very very clever of hoist um i think had he tried a normal guillotine had he tried a normal armbar um, a normal triangle choke you know, that could have really dragged the fight out. I think Ken would have had um, athleticism and some know-how on how to defend those, and it would have dragged out to be a longer fight. But the fact that he went for something which incorporated his gi was a clever move and a righteous move that got that quick finish. You know, really clever to, for Hoist to do that. Um, so, General, uh, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Do you think yeah. they should have made all the fighters wear the same style of uh no yeah no, no i don't do you think it no, adds no. adds to it that they were able to wear their own 
martial yeah, arts. No, I, I, I think, yeah, I think back then it really was martial art versus martial art. And, you know, if you're a judo guy, you're all about, you know, being able to use your own gi or your opponent's gi. Okay, so yeah. you could go up against someone without a gi. It doesn't mean you can't use your own gi like we saw with Hoist. Um, so absolutely, yes. as it was back then, I mean, MMA now is a sport under its own set of skill sets now. So, yeah, okay, I kind of get it. Yeah, the organization's limit. It? I do think there is room out there for an organization to still keep it potentially, um, you know, for, for, for a stylist to want to keep his gi uniform on, um, you know, if it's deemed safe to do so, as long as no one's, you know, it's not going to create danger in any way you know for instance you can't no. have a stick fighter going in saying well i want to have my sticks with me um you know, yeah. um i kind of get that but i think you know if a judo guy that wants to stay true to his roots and wear a gi because he feels that it's going to give him um something that's going to give him a, a, an advantage to to put it where his style is more suitable uh, i think they should allow it to be honest it's like these the wrestling boots i think you know you should be allowed to wear your, wear your wrestling boots okay so you're not allowed to kick to the head if you do wear them but um, I think they should allow it, but they, they don't, um, you know, maybe there are more complex reasons why and health reasons why they shouldn't. Um, I can't see from a personal perspective on why that would be. But yeah, no, I think, you know, whatever's your uniform, you should wear. should be your decision to. Cool. Uh, okay, so the final of our first week of uh, covering the retro UFC tournament UFC number one, the final. Yeah. Gerard Gordo versus Royce Gracie. And uh, Royce yeah. Gracie submitted Gerard in one minute 40 using a rear naked choke. I gotta say, I was very happy to see a nice rear naked choke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is like the, um, you know, this submission rear naked choke is like, it's like the ultimate dominance. You know, it's, um, having the most superior position, which is on the back and, and to choke them out, you know, it doesn't matter if you choose not to tap because you'll sleep, you know, basically. Um, yeah. I Shit. mean, it, it, it's uh, you know full expression of dominance. It really is. Um, you know, and we know Bordeaux potentially really dangerous. So Hoyce had to get in, he had to stay in and he was like a sucker fish. Once he got to him, he just was not letting him go. And he did a really nice little um, outside leg trip. Um, it, it, it was nice. And it took him straight into the mount position. Um, and for that mount position, I think just the threat of what potentially could have happened in terms of damage to his face made Gordo turn. And you turn your back on a jiu-jitsu guy when you're not a jiu-jitsu guy. It's not going to be long before you're, you're potentially over. unconscious or, or tapping out. Um, he chose to tap out and, and it was over very, very quickly. He made short work of a very... Uh, dangerous opponent. Indeed, he did. He was very uh, dominant, and Hoist Gracie was the winner of UFC One. Mm-hmm. Um, so next week, myself and Danny will be talking UFC Two, which yeah. was a sixteen-man tournament. Which yeah. I'm just going to read out not the names. I'm going to read out some of the martial arts which were uh, of the sixteen men. Uh, so you had ninjutsu, which Danny's now going to tell me what that is. Uh, ninjutsu, well, you, you all know, heard of ninjas. Um, so basically, uh, a ninjutsu, I, I actually trained a little bit of it over my years. Um, I trained with a couple of ninjutsu guys, mm-hmm. and um, they they do have some, some weapons involved with their, their arts as well. Um, 
uh, basically it's, it's a fairly complete system. So they have their striking, they have a form of takedown, and they have you know, elements of ground aspects too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fairly complete in its coverage of, of, of skills. It's just in the modern day, um, they don't train it in a way to become a proficient fighter in terms of sport. It's okay. just more um, of a training system that you would use for, for outright war, basically. Um, right, okay. uh, and to kill an opponent. It's, <laughs> it's not a sporting, it's not a sporting martial art by any stretch. Um, no, yeah. Um, so, uh, what else we got? Karate, obviously we know that. Taekwondo, karate, karate. Mm. Wing Chun. What's that? Yeah, Wing Chun. Wing Chun, uh, well, if uh, everyone knows about Bruce Lee. Um, Bruce Lee started out with Yip Man, who, who's very proficient in the art of Wing Chun. Um, again, it's something I've dabbled with. Um, you'll see people use the wooden dummy um, to condition their forearm, forearms. And there's training techniques like sticky hands where you put uh, wrist to wrist and you feel movements. You can pretty much close your eyes and do it. Um, yeah, it, it's, um, yeah, it's an unusual striking form. Um, again, okay. you won't see it being used in any um, combat sport today, really. Um, but it's really interesting research okay. uh, to look it up about it. But Bruce Lee's the yeah, person going... who, yeah, would have you would attach the most and, famous uh, man IP, IP, IP man films, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so what else we got? Uh, Sambo, which I, I I know that one. That's like a yeah. um, Russian uh, martial art. Nick, like a, oh, I can't remember what it's based on. But um, yeah, it's rough. It comes from Russia, so I yeah. know that much. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty realistic training system. You know, that 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 legit. Someone's good. Sambo is good. Now we're going to test you. Now we're going to test you. What is San Su? San Su. Uh, is this? Um, yeah. Is this the one that that uh, Joe San? Is it Joe San who uh, represented that system? Sorry, let's have a look. Uh, no, it was Tad Tadius Luster. Um, mm, Sansu, okay. no, by the looks of it, the full 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 name is Kung Fu Sansu. Oh, so okay. I'm assuming no, it's like I wasn't aware. Of I know Fu, that Joe I San come up with his own, uh, but I, I think he come along maybe in the oh, right, okay. Three or so. Do you remember that Joe San? He ended up. He's, I think he's in prison now. I think he's in prison for murder or something like that. But he okay. also starred in a film or two. Um, he fought Keith Hackney. Oh, all right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. But, you know, as we go through UFCs, uh, well, I could cover a little bit more knowledge about yeah. when we get there. Um, so as we've got, we've got some Muay Thai. And... Oh, my page has gone off now. But, yeah, there's a, a <laughs> lots of different martial arts in UFC too. There's um, there's some interesting uh, bouts and fights, which I'm really looking forward to watching and uh, and talking to you about because the, the one thing – one, 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 one of the very few good things to come out of this lockdown has been that we got to cover some some interesting and some classic fights. Uh, yeah. So we talked UFC one, and we talked Frank Bruno and Lennox Lewis, which was really enjoyable. Uh, so yeah. next week we're going to talk UFC two, and uh, JD sent in asking us to cover because I asked people to send in if there was a particular fight that they wanted right. us to focus on, um, whether it's boxing or MMA then we would cover one fight per week plus the, you know, like the UFC card that we're on for that week. 
so obviously next week we'll do UFC two, and they've asked us. Uh, JD's asked us to cover uh, Kazushi Sakuraba versus Royler Gracie from Pride mm. Eight, which uh, right. pro- if anyone has ever seen any Pride, uh, they are fantastically oh, love wild Pride. shows. Yeah. Um, uh, just for you guys, if you want to watch these shows, uh, so you know you can kind of go along with us. Uh, you can find the Pride shows uh, on UFC Fight Pass, and obviously UFC Two is on UFC mm. Fight Pass as well. And uh, yes, that's the show. I really, really enjoyed that, Danny. I gotta say, yeah, yeah, it's a good bit of fun um, going over old school. Yep, and we had a little taster into what like the watch alongs will be like as we because we both put the boxing on, uh, you know, to watch as we were talking about it. And the, basically, that's what those watch alongs will be like, um, you know. And if this lockdown, if this lockdown does, you know, drag on into a long period, maybe we could do like a watch along one night in the week. We'll do like a, we'll pick a UFC card or something and just chuck sure. it on the. And we could always yeah. do like a watch long just to, you know, pass some days in. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so we we talked UFC 1, which was called UFC 1, the beginning. Next week, yeah. UFC 2. Yeah. No and way UFC out. UFC 2, you know, it was the, a videotape. I, had, I was with my first girlfriend. We had nothing to do um, one evening. So we went to um, Blockbuster Videos. And um, I remember seeing the video because I think I've covered this in, in in the podcast that we had originally done. But yeah, I picked that as a movie, thinking it was a movie, and <laughs> um, it ended up being this UFC two. And I was thinking, crack out, looks really real. And, um, and of course, <laughs> as it's playing out, I'm like, what the hell? This is this, this is real. I can't believe it. I remember showing, on him. Yeah, I remember showing my dad some of the fights. I'm like, dad, look at this. And he goes, oh bloody hell, son. I said, oh, I want to be a world champion in this. And of course, yeah, he, yeah. he does what he normally does when I used to um, give him any of my ideas. He was like, oh, yeah, all right, Dan. Um, but yeah, you, were know a world, you became a world yeah, champion. Yeah, yeah, years and years later, I ended up doing it as a professional sport. But um, yeah, a little bit of Featherweight champion of boy. Cage Warriors, yeah. yeah. So um, UFC 2 is some facts. UFC 2 also, um, they extended the tournament to 16 men. Uh, it also marked the debut of John McCarthy as a referee. Mm. Uh, but competitors could only win by submission uh, or knockout or the towel being thrown in. So that's the same. No weight classes as usual. No rules. Did they remove the groin shots yet? Doesn't look I don't like. think they did. No, I don't think they did. Royce Gracie is, uh, yeah, Roy, Royce Gracie Royce is obviously is defending, his, uh, defending his crown. Mm. Um I'm trying to see if there's any familiar names now. Uh, Patrick Smith, uh, Johnny Rhodes, David Levicki. No one massively. Uh, Robert Lucarelli. Uh, no one that's Scott Baker. Scott Baker, Rose Gracie, Minoki Ichichara. Uh, can't see anyone who would who would you know stick out name wise. But obviously, yeah. um, you might be more familiar with a lot of them. But um, I, yeah. I've got a list of the finishes, and the finishes look a lot, a lot of fun. I've got to say, there's KOs, <laughs> there's guillotine chokes, there's lapel chokes, arm locks, mm. triangle chokes, KO. God, oh, that's going to be good. Corner stoppage. Can't wait. Cannot wait. Um, Danny, thank you for joining me again, my friend. That was great fun. Yeah, my pleasure as always, Si. 
And uh, guys, we'll see you next week. You can find me on Twitter at AceCast underscore Nation. You cannot find Danny on Twitter because he's not on there. You can find me on Instagram at the same, at AceCast underscore Nation. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash AcePodcastNation. That's the best way to support the channel and the podcast. And uh, check out all the various stuff we've got on, at least three shows a week. In this lockdown period, it'll probably be more like four, maybe five, some of the weeks. Got loads of shows coming up with uh, Robbie Regan. Shows coming out soon. Uh, former world champion boxer. I know I've got some uh, some Cage Warriors fighters coming on. A UFC fighter coming back on. Plenty of stuff to keep us going. So, uh, yeah, guys, keep an eye on all our shows. And we will see you next week. Cheers, Danny. Yeah, cheers, Sam. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Indeed. And spread the words, tell your friends, help us keep growing. And uh, maybe one day you will get the massive prize that was £60,000 for winning UFC 2. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.